Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. Tonight, we're going to do a little black dress concept, Elementals um, as an alternate universe. And the last time we did this, we kind of got a little wrapped up in the reality of such a situation, and it didn't quite play into the concept that we really wanted to develop, which is the point is, is to develop a concept that we can lay on top of a fandom. Now, in reality, something like the Sentinel, if Sentinels always existed, the planet, it wouldn't exist the way it does today. No, not at all. Your your fandom would be unrecognizable. So we need to acknowledge that that set of reality has no place in this concept um, and then go forward from that and acknowledge that, yes, that actually, you know, countries the lines on the map would be even different countries might have different names um world wars might have been fought at different times civil wars might have broken out more than they did um for various reasons slavery might not have existed slavery could still exist based on you know because you don't know but in order to make this a concept that we could use across fandoms we need to acknowledge that it's not a reality based concept and move on okay so <clears throat> although that said it when could you be shoved down their throats or it could alternatively be 200 years of war yeah and, and, you know, one of the things you have to make up your mind when you're laying this on is so, for instance, if you don't want to get too wrapped up in the reality of like restructuring, which is a little bit what we did last time, which is restructuring world history, you, 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 you do can kind of just hand wave it and say this happened, but this didn't. So, for instance, you could say the Holocaust didn't happen. But most of the rest of the stuff did. I mean, you could do something like that, right? You say, well, with the presence of, of Sentinels, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the Holocaust would have happened, at least not not, not to that degree. Like it may have been an attempt, but it might have been stopped. Um, so you could make that kind of you know blanket. It, and it is a hand wave because you're ignoring the other ramifications when you say um, the Holocaust wouldn't have happened, at least not to that degree, because it would have been an immense threat to the tribe right so i just but if you do that your whole fandom starts to to, to disintegrate around you and that defeats the purpose right so to some degree you kind of have to go okay most of most of the world's events happened even though they may not make sense that they happened um but yeah i mean it's just you just got to be careful because like one of the things i see that like when we talk about the sentinel that doesn't actually make a lot of sense to me is um is like the level of institution so if you've always had sentinels and guides and if same-sex pairings have always been there i don't see how institutionalized homophobia exists in the military um and yet i see that in sentinel stories but it doesn't actually make sense to me so i mean you might have some degree of homophobia i just don't think it would be legalized legitimized I don't think institutional way to... no but i do think that individually I yeah. never, I, I make it, I don't make it so um, it's a problem in my Sentinel stories, um, but I don't think homophobia will go away for love or money. No, I, I agree. I can drop my ink pen. Okay. I just don't think that it would be something that would be, um, I don't think Don't Ask, Don't Tell would, be, would exist in no. a Sentinel, Sentinel universe. Um, At least not for Sentinels and Guides. 
Yeah, but Sentinels and Guides have always existed and they've always been. I think that that would have, especially if they are the tribal protectors. Now, some people write a very dark AU with Sentinels and Guides, like that they are um, basically slaves of the government. And I wouldn't write anything like that, as you guys know. So, um, you know, but it's a matter of taking your world building and having at least at least your 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 layer elements, like your Sentinel Guide or whatever, make some kind of coherent sense. And I just find that it, it doesn't connect for me. If they are always been tribal protectors, they've always been part of the military, and they've always been part of society. There's always been a large percentage of them that have been same-sex pairings, that there'd be rampant homophobia and, and you know laws against it in the military. So... I just don't find I can connect those dots. And so you've got to kind of look at that kind of, um, and you can look at that in terms of the modern day society or modern day application of your, of your, your layer without restructuring history entirely. I mean, I try to avoid dystopian themes as a rule. Uh, and I know a lot of times people think that my fic, as a as a result, is kind of larger than life, and um, and that it can actually honestly be flawed because I don't um, dig deep into concepts um, like the whole slave law in Ties That Bind, which is a background piece of world building, because I think that there are certain elements. It's realistic to assume that there would be certain elements who would embrace it. So it needed to be part of it, but I would never actually have it come to pass because um, that's, oh, that's gross. <laughs> I don't write fan fiction to make myself miserable. So I'm not going to write um, terrible themes like institutionalized homophobia or institutionalized um, sexism or slave AUs or AUs where the South won, for fuck's sake, or um, extreme domestic violence. or I'm just not, not going to write any of it. And a lot of times people will, you know, dig at me a little for it because I tend to kind of Pollyanna my way around fandom. Hannibal don't even know what's coming. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, we get plenty of that in real life, right? Do we really need it? <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, you know, I don't set out to upset myself with my own fan fiction. So when I think about layering a concept on top of um, a fandom like The Sentinel or... Um, I think it's important to acknowledge that there are some people who would be greatly put off by a Sentinel God relationship for one reason or another. Um, in the sequel to The Awakening, there is a um, woman who works for the The Awakening was my Sentinel and Guide pick, the first one I ever wrote for Blair and um, Jim. There's a woman who works for the um, mayor's office, and she tries to get Blair out of the police department and into the mayor's office as the consultant um, because she's trying to save him from Will um, from Jim because she thinks he's basically a slave. Wow, she's a little misguided. A little misguided, but not unrealistic because people don't understand. Even Jim really didn't understand the Sentinel and Guide bond before he got one. He had a lot of preconceived notions about it that were um, based on what he'd, what he'd seen and not what he'd actually experienced. 
But don't, but don't, but don't y'all worry. Blair puts her in her place <laughs> pretty damn quick. Because <laughs> Blair waited a long time for his sentinel. <laughs> and he gets to ride that whenever he wants. <laughs> and fuck all y'all if you don't like it. <laughs> you trying to take my sentinel away, you heifer? Blair did wait a really long time for his sentinel, so he's actually very protective of Jim. I mean, it's just like, bitch, what? <laughs> I would never desecrate Hannibal's character and turn him into a, veg um, into a vegetarian, unless you meant he only eats vegans. <laughs> that might be what they mean. <laughs> I'm willing to go with the idea that they 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 mean that Hannibal only eats vegans. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but so those are realistic elements that you put into your into your layer. Um, so you could say, you know, like in Sentinels of Atlanta, Sumner had a real problem with the relationship between John and McKay to the point where he was removed from the mission. I felt like it was realistic that he would have a serious problem with his XO being in a sexually a, a, a sexual and romantic relationship with the second ranking civilian on the city because it's a it, it would be a power balance you know, a power imbalance. And he also was homophobic. I didn't think it was out of um, character. And I also think that sometimes people, when, they, when they're when they designing um, their AUs, that they will shove that whole Sentinel and Guide wholesale down all their characters' throats and make them all accept it like it's the gospel. Which I don't think is realistic. One of my favorite scenes in Sentinel... <laughs> Sentinels of Atlantis is when that general is complaining about Chase Harris and he calls him a primitive son of a bitch and Jax lets him know that he's one of those primitive sons of bitches I happen to be one of those primitive sons of bitches it's one of my favorite um, scenes in the whole story because it speaks to a broader perspective and that while Sentinels and Guides are as a whole, accepted by society, there are some that see them as tools, disposable tools at that, and at best, leashed animals. Because some people are just assholes. Yes, some people are just assholes. And it's important to include assholes in your work. <laughs> it's going to be one of those nights. It is going to be one of those nights. <laughs> But also, I think it's important that you don't, for me personally, it's important not to dwell on those elements because it just drags your story down and makes it depressing and sad. That's true. That's and we don't, need to, we don't need to be sad. So let's talk about elementals and um, what's your vision? What's your design, Jilly? <laughs> um. That's a jolly good question. Um, well, I think I would do... Uh, hmm, I'm kind of intrigued by the idea of where most people, where it's like something that most people, or maybe even almost all people, have some sort of elemental affinity. Um, and then you could work with, like, degrees of it. Uh, how You know, like, it, it has... For some people, it's maybe stronger than others. 
But let's just let's define the elements. Earth, wind, fire, and water. Well, but you could have other elements, though, right? So Earth could be um, very limited to like 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 plants, um, as opposed to like stone could be like metal. Uh, metal metal could be different than Earth. Typically, I think you see metal, stone, plants, any kind of growing. But so if you defined Earth as things that grow and live, that could lit separate like metal and rock as particularly metal as a different element yeah so okay so you could do nature versus um like define earth out as being different than like split it yeah aether versus like sp spirit um so i would say electricity is probably a subset of air and under earth you have nature metal Maybe stone is separate. Not particularly. I'm not interested in using classifications from something that already exists. Otherwise, you're doing if you're doing like an avatar or a Pokemon, that, that would be that would then become the layer, right? As a Pokemon AU. And I, I'm not interested. No. So I, I would rather like define my own boundaries. Um, and then you've got water and then fire. Um, is lava, fire, earth? I would actually see. I would think actually that would be um, both. It would have to be both. So it would be interesting that like maybe in order to control lava, that you would actually have to have um, an elemental who had more than one element. I wouldn't put energy under fire. I would put something like electricity under air. Yeah, that's where I had. That's where I'd put it earlier. Um. You could do elementals working in conjunction, but so okay. So let's let's start. So that we let's see if this even works out. What if so? If everybody has some sort of magic, some, some sort of elemental affinity, like maybe for, even from birth, um, but you don't know the depth of your gift until you're older, because you don't want a bunch of babies setting shit on fire. No, no, and maybe it can't even be done by accident. Yeah, that, 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 that safety. That you have to kind of like tap into it and um, seek it out versus it being uncontrollable like magic. So there'd be no accidental magic, no accidental elemental. You don't want kids at elementary school on fire. Right. Because <laughs> they got, they didn't want to get up from nap time. So what if, um, what if what you did. So let's say you're sometime you you know, but maybe not everybody pursues it because maybe it is like a rigorous path or something like maybe not so impossible, but it is like a life's work to become a a um adept. An yeah, adept. I like that term. Adept. So it does take work, or maybe there's levels that you can study. Um but your affinity would be known fairly young and maybe having a dual affinity would be something that'd be very rare. Question is, what would you, so, okay. So the thing is we're talking about, so you're born, you have an affinity and maybe the stronger your gift is the later in life you come into your full potential with it because you need, Maybe you need like this the kind of seasoning you get in life to learn patience and to learn how to to focus even in order to be able to truly tap into your potential. But that could be tweaked. Um, okay, so you're gonna lay so you lay this concept over a fandom. Let's pick one and see what it does. 
Stargate Atlantis. Well, that's our, you know, that's the easiest. So we can start there. Um, <laughs> they put the Ripper on a plane. <laughs> oh my God, I just had this weird brain connection. Did you ever watch Fantasy Island? Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, you terrible person. <laughs> can I put you in the corner during the podcast? <laughs> You know, just imagine him saying, they put the Ripper on a plane. (laughs) (laughs) So I do think one of the things that's important is that we we are going to, we might have some stuff that's tangential to something that already exists, but I want to kind of build the concept kind of organically with what makes sense versus pulling deliberately from from world building from other fandoms even though we'll we're definitely going to have some parallels but it's not my intention to um just duplicate a fandom world building that already exists um well if there's if with the wraith existing i do think that lends spirit as being um one of the elements and that actually could explain how the how how their ascension experiment went so wrong is they were trying to master that element so they could ascend and then said they made the wraith something that fed on it so when it comes to um elemental gifts like the ability to control an element um with an with an earth elemental that would be um a form of telekinesis and water yeah, earth and water. Yeah. Fire is a little different. Air is really weird. You know. But the thing is, is if you're an air elemental, you should be able to conjure water out of the air. You should be able to pull water out of the air. Or at the very least, a water elemental um, should be able to pull water out of the air because there's water in the air. Right. I would think the water elemental could, if they could pull the water out of your body if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um I think it would take hundreds to stop a hurricane. I mean, a Category Five is like the has the power of a nuclear weapon, right? Yeah. It wouldn't just be a bunch; it would have to be hundreds, hundreds upon hundreds, maybe even thousands, working together. It seems impossible. I think that trying could actually probably kill people. Maybe deflect, but actually stopping. Because you can't make them superhuman. They have to have limits. I'm not... I mean, you would have to gather them all in the same place, knowing that it was coming. Well, with... um, With... um, Okay, so with hurricanes, right? It doesn't work well with tornadoes, I don't think. Tornadoes come down too quickly. Right. But, and actually, you could even say that a really powerful, like, air elemental with a tornado... Um, could potentially like protect one house, not stop the tornado, but they might be able to deflect the air that that's you know that's, that would be causing the damage. But with a with a hurricane, they could say we need all of the like water and air elementals 
that in the area to come prepared to work together to to connect to protect this town and maybe they can't stop the hurricane but maybe they work in concert and it's something they're used to doing where they're still damaged but they're able to like protect most of the town or something because they're basically just deflecting the energy back out like i'll say into the ocean or something so that it still has the opportunity to dissipate and do its thing but they're deflecting that energy away which is what they're doing right they're deflecting it that it, it is an energy deflection. It's not like an energy dissipation. Someone asked in the chat room about family lines. I would say no. I would not put elementals in family lines because it would lead to selective breeding. You look at the ugliness of what could happen of saying, okay, this family is known for producing really strong um, fire elementals. So we're going to make sure that they breed with really strong fire elementals to make that as strong as possible to create super elementals. That's the kind of thing that ha would definitely happen in a society if these things came through family lines. So I think to avoid that ripple, which I would not want to deal with, um, because it would cause like um, arranged marriages in the past, maybe even currently, you know, parents would be really invested in getting their children married to certain really rich elementals or, you know, hey, you have to marry a fire because you're a fire. Um, it, it's just the kind of thing that would um, spiral out of control. So I would make it random just to avoid that ugliness, that ripple. Um, that's a very obvious ripple. That if you ignored, you would get called out on. Which you can do and ignore. I just wouldn't. Yeah, and probably it's realistic that at some point in history, they would have attempted to breed for this and found that they couldn't. Which is probably how I would have it be. Because it, it, I think it's nature, the human nature, right? To try to see if they can. Because that's what we do. We just selected breeding already. So they would attempt to see if they could get a stronger fire elemental by doing... And I do think, and I, I agree with Kira's pick on trying to breed a stronger fire elemental because I would think they'd be coveted in the military. Mm. For actual battle, I think that they would really be like, we, I, and I think it probably is short-sighted, but, you know, a big bang is a big bang. Which is why I'd probably make John Shepard a fire elemental. I know that your inclination is to make him air because he loves to fly and he's a pilot, um, but I would make him fire and I'd make it, um, Rodney Earth. I don't think I would have affinity personally. I might have the affinity impact somebody a little bit. Like people might joke and say, oh, you're a water elemental. You have the total personality of a fire. It, it'd be like kind of like sort of like a stereotype, kind of like you have like, you know, the 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 zodiacs, you know, the zodiac um whatever your your why can't I think of that word? Whatever your zodiac symbol is, that you know, we have stereotypes around that. I think you could have Son? a Zodiac sign, thank you. Um, <laughs> think of the word sign. Your zodiac sign. We have a stereotype around astrology um, that is, it, it's ridiculous. There's, no, there's nothing scientific about that, right? But we go, oh, yeah, you're a typical Capricorn or whatever. Um, I'd make Taylor air and Ronan would also be fire. Um, don't fall into that cliche when you're building like a team of people to try to spread the elementals out so that you so that you have one of each because that's not realistic. Yeah. So I think, like I said, I think there would be some some cliches around it, but I don't think it would be. Any
and a, a realistic your affinity impacts your personality and the reason why i would say that is because it then creates a ripple where you're you have to figure you have to redo your people your this is supposed to be laying over fandom right so when you have affinities affect people's personalities you're already going to have some effect on their core personality because of the fact that the world is already different they have this thing that they can do that potentially they're hiding or whatever um, and then to have their personality be different because of their affinity it gets to the point where you're you're moving your character too far away to be recognizable and you're writing original fiction yeah trust me i've been there hello synthetic i'm talking about you <laughs> let's break them down and um talk about what each one of them is capable of doing Okay. Earth. Well, if you just did straight Earth, Earth is incredibly powerful because that covers metal, stone, nature. Um, can they make plants grow? Can they um, cause stones to rise up to the ground with Stonehenge created by an Earth elemental? Um, can they do, and you could have it be like things like someone who's got a minor gift with earth, who's trained it a little bit, could be like a stone carver. And instead of it being done with tools, it's done with their, effectively their elemental magic, right? In um, Spiritborn, um, Thorin shapes metal and stone with his bare hands. Okay. So it could do something like that. Um, I probably would have... Um, I think it'd be interesting if there was a blanket term, like you'd be an earth elemental, but you'd have an affinity for one part of earth, like, um, like, like, <coughs> like plants. Sorry. It's okay. You okay? I'm, I'm like the boss. I just choked on air. <laughs> well, I figured I'd just let the silence rain so that you could, uh, edit that <sighs> section out later. Um, <laughs> um, what would be really interesting is like if um say um say say David Parrish is an earth elemental but he's also um his affinity is like um uh he's like a green practitioner or something like that um that he you know yeah. works with plants helps plants grow he's he can speak to them talk to them hear them yeah. Yeah. And so you could have a, and there could be somebody, there could actually be like the rarest type of any elemental could be the one who is, who, who has all the affinities for their group. So like, they're not limited to um, plants or rock or metal or, you know, whatever they can deal with it all. And then you have the same thing with air. You've got with air, you've got um, electricity, you've got wind. Um Trying to think of what you've got besides that with air. What do you have besides that? Um, smoke. Smoke, yeah. Clouds, which is actually, I would think that I would think that you would almost need some crossover there, like a sub affinity for um, some water, because what are, what are clouds, right? They're water, but they're in the yeah. air. But if they're already manifested, the ability to move them around would be within the wheelhouse of somebody who can handle air so right. if they have a water elemental with them having them create mist or fog or um would be beneficial they could use that in um they could in um in in the theater in war 
um, one of the one of the one of the main jobs that the army does is lay down smoke um, for cover, especially in places like um, like like during Desert Storm. Um, so like a fire elemental um, could make smoke. A water elemental could make fog, and both of these could be used by an air elemental to mask troop movements in areas where they have no cover. Yeah, I think that works really well. So they would that's why you would need, you know, a balance. So you've got um so the air elemental can they're basically doing a lot of movement of other stuff though. So basically that's still wind. Um so an air elemental I would actually think that'd be the two, right? Wind and electricity. So if you've got an air elemental whose affinity is wind, they can, they're the ones who'd be able to be really useful with like a tornado, right? Is like being able to deflect the wind. Um, and then they could move fog around, move clouds around. They could, you could have a, you could have an air elemental who's strong, who lives like in farming communities. And when there is a cloud, you know, they just direct them over to the, to the, to the, they can direct the cloud that's going to drop rain onto, into the right place to water the right crops. I mean, it could be a whole. Temperature manipulation would be more than air though. But it would be manipulating sound or like dampening sound would be within the wheelhouse of an air elemental. Also, air could be used to move objects. If they're strong enough, they could be that they would be able to to use air um, and pressure pockets, um, like pressure in the air, um, to push people and things around, like a force field. Yeah, yeah. I think if you'd want to change the temperature, you would need. Um a water elemental who could make ice. So I would, I would want a water elemental actually for that. But you could also have a fire elemental. Mm-hmm. Well, that be, well, well, the, the, hmm. I do think you're going to have to have some like minor cross sub affinities. Otherwise, how does, um, that means a fire elemental, if, if, if a water elemental can't heat water without fire, then it seems kind of lopsided. Like they could, can they freeze water? Is is that actually a function of fire? Temperature control? I don't know. It's it's. I think they they would have a main affinity and a sub affinity. Yeah. So it could determine what they could do with their gifts. So if they had like an air affinity, and they had a minor affinity of fire, they might not be able to conjure fire with uh, a um, with a minor affinity, but they might be able to heat air. Like the minor affinity only applies to their main affinity. They can't use it separately. They can only use it as it influences their main affinity. So if they've got, if you're an air elemental and your sub affinity is fire, you're capable of heat, you know, heating the air, which would uh, enable at least heating temperature control. Although I actually could think you could have be, no, I could actually, if a, could a fire elemental remove temperature as well? I think in order to remove temperature, that a fire elemental would probably need an air sub-affinity to dissipate the heat. Okay. Because what you don't want to do, and I'm going to talk about this in the chat room a little bit, is that you don't want to give these people the ability to 
impact things on an atomic level. Do you want to blow up the planet? Because that's how you blow up the planet. <laughs> I mean, do you really want all these assholes to have the ability to get down to the atomic level with their abilities? Think about it. If so, do you want them to be able to manipulate strings? Think about how far you want them to be able to go because they could rip they could literally rip the universe in half. Yeah, I think actually getting down to literally the micro uh, the micro level literally molecular control, getting that granular is dangerous. I think it really has to be surface affinity. Really basic stuff for most people. Like 99% of the people who in your reality have these abilities have them at a surface level. Have you ever watched the movie Looper? Yeah, I've, I've seen it. In the movie Looper, um, people started manifesting telekinesis everywhere. But for the most part, it was just little things. Like the girl could like spin a coin above her hand. And that was the extent of her telekinesis. Whereas her son um, could rip a whole house to pieces. And the reason that the character um, that. Uh, what is his name? The younger version of Bruce Willis in that movie. Oh. Um, uh, Come on, Lola, talk to me. Joseph, jo Joseph Gordon-Levitt, his yes, character. It just kind of popped into my brain afterwards. His character goes, um, is, um, his, the, the future version of his character comes back in time and he's supposed to kill him, but he doesn't. Um, cause that's, that, that's when your loop contract is up. When they send your old ass back and your the young version kills you, you're done. <laughs> and so he, um, the older version has gone back in time to try to kill this kid who has developed this severe ability with um, telekinesis because um, <sighs> you can't send me fucked up shit like that while I'm trying to talk, Jillian. Sorry. Actual fuck. Well, I just now, sat here with my mouth. look. Okay, so I sat here with my mouth hanging open. I couldn't, I couldn't keep that to myself can't even what was I talking about oh so the older version has come back in time to kill this kid because this kid is responsible for killing his wife in the future and so the younger version has to make a choice between himself and um this kid and he chooses to kill himself therefore killing the older version of himself before the older version of himself can murder this kid but what the point is is that this kid had this extreme ability whereas most people in the world had like these little abilities, like this this parlor trick they could do. And that's what you would want to do in a world like this. You would want to create levels. You don't want every, and even if you have a character who can manipulate at the atomic level, you don't want everybody and their asshole brother being able to do this. So you don't want to bake it into your world building where the gifts go that deep automatically. Because really, do you want Hannibal to be able to manipulate things at an atomic level? Do you think a character like Hannibal can be trusted with that? Margaret, <laughs> get in the corner. <laughs> you know what I'm getting? Would you want Peter Kavanaugh to have that ability? We've ruined all there you of you. <laughs> so, you want to stagger ability and you don't want to bake in the concept that that 
elementals can manipulate um, their reality at the atomic level. It's just not good world building. Because the ripples are astronomical and hard to control. And you'll have one reader who, like, was literally an engineer at NASA wondering how your planet has survived. And they'll ask you. In public. On Facebook. And feel free to delete their <laughs> comment, you know. <laughs> Spit and duct tape. That's pretty much exactly it, I'm sure. <gasps> what part of the fact that Hiro Ito is like thousands of year old years old is 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 missing? I've used this character repeatedly. I've made it more than clear that he got his um his Philosopher's Stone when he was in his late 60s. Why do you persist? Guys, why do they persist in trying to cast these young men as this character? Do you really want to picture a really hot, young, good-looking man banging Maggie Smith? Because that's what he's doing in Harry Potter and the Soulmate Bond. He's banging Maggie Smith. Well, he's banging Minerva McGonagall. He's not actually banging Maggie. Sorry, Maggie. <laughs> I, just, I had a moment. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> My apologies, Dame Smith. I apologize. <laughs> oh, the dude is hot. Um, but yeah, yes, I mean, I, Hero, yeah, I agree. But Hero that's I two is um E two it. Ito is um, every bit of a thousand years old plus some I actually don't even remember his current age um, but he didn't get his uh, philosopher's stone until he was in his 60s 70s he's not a young man and also he's Japanese and I really wish people would stop trying to cast the emperor of China from Mulan as the character I mean I would really appreciate that because that dude's Chinese and animated <laughs> At least the one I saw. I haven't seen the new one. They haven't finished making it yet. Just saying. Asians are not interchangeable. For the record. Anyways. I shouldn't have been approving comments during the podcast. That'll teach me. Not that I approved that, but whatever. <laughs> this, is someone, this is someone who's... This is their first read of your work. I'm probably... To go. Oh, you poor newbie. Um, I can't even. Gosh. So, so as as we try to lay this on Stargate, we might be able. We might work out some of our the kinks in the world building. I think it's actually pretty simple world building. I just think you have to resist the temptation to, you know, go balls to the wall and let people be too powerful, like. You know, because if there's a if there's a too powerful good guy, there's going to be a too powerful bad guy who would rip the planet in half. And you just don't give yourself that opening. Um, okay, so you said John a fire elemental, and um, you said Taylor Air, right? Is that what you said? Mm, yeah, Rodney Earth, and and Ronan is fire as well. I like the idea of making John fire, um, even though I think that um, he would have wanted to be air um, and that he's probably had to fight most of his career to stay in the pilot seat. That's interesting. Because of, um, because of his affinity. Um, so is his sub affinity air? So like he can like direct fire. Yeah. 
in like he can like a uh, heat air or create smoke and direct it or yeah i think rodney would be earth with a sub affinity for fire as well well if you have like y- you would want them to have a sub affinity like one that they can use to a lesser degree to supplement their or their their true affinity so say their true affinity is fire um and their subaffinity is water. That would give them the ability to um, make ice and melt ice, um, make steam um, from water, and a variety of other things. Uh, just kind of mix them two together. I've already cast the character um, for the the actor for Hero. Um, it was difficult, yeah. But it was an actual actor, not a not a model. <clears throat> but I would give er- Rodney Earth with like the metal, and then give him fire as his sub affinity, so he would have the ability to um, work with metal, yeah. and smelt so, it and shit. Yeah, that'd be, all fun. That'd be good. <laughs> so, so somebody asked, "How does a fire with air affinity and air with fire affinity differ?" The difference is that an air somebody who's a fire can do anything. He, anything with fire so they could conjure flame but what they can do with that flame depends upon their sub affinity can they create steam can they create smoke can they um, move it around um, can they create lava because they've got an earth affinity is their sub affinity that is completely different than somebody who has got an air affinity who can primarily deal with the wind and their sub affinity allows them potentially to it might look similar, but an air somebody who's got an air affinity, the sub affinity for fire, is not actually going to be able to create fire. They're going to be able to heat air, but they're not going to be able to actually. Con- that would be the way I'd interpret it. Like the actual conjuration of fire would be something very limited to the primary affinity of fire. But a sub affinity of fire would allow the heating of the air. Actually, I would think that that would actually be a combination that wouldn't be particularly great outside of room con- room temperature control in the cold uh, would be an air affinity with a sub-affinity of fire. But fire with a sub-affinity of air. I would think actually the most useful, what is the most useful, probably the most useful sub-affinity for air is water. That's what I put with Taylor's. I put um, air and then sub-water. It just makes sense. I would say probably the air elementals are the most common. I feel like that would, I think you would want to pick an element, an element that is the least dangerous to be the most common. Right. (laughs) You you also also think about your, your population and how um, the government controls people who are very dangerous and you're looking at prison environments. How are they containing a fire elemental? Do they have suppression collars? Have they learned to suppress elementals through drug therapy or through device. I said the least dangerous. He's not saying not dangerous, just less dangerous than... I think fire is the most dangerous. Because fire is a weapon of war. I think fire has to be the most dangerous. I think water could be dangerous. And so could air, and so could earth. But fire... um, in some ways, you know, honestly, in some ways, water and air are pretty similar. I mean, yeah, you could steal the air out of somebody's lungs, but if you're a water elemental, you could turn the air that's in somebody's lungs to water. 
Well, but actually, if you're a water elemental, you could take the water out of their body and leave them just a husk. Um, so somebody might not die from having their air suddenly gone, but they will die if all of their water is gone. Yeah. Kind of like being fed on by a wraith, actually. Yeah, I mean, you'd be just a desiccated little lump. You'd be a human raisin. <laughs> mummification. It'd be instant mummification. Mm -hmm. I think most earth elementals would not be strong enough to sense the iron in another human being's body. I think that you would not want to make them that strong. Because that, that approaches, again, atomic level of ability. Because even Magneto in X-Men couldn't actually take the iron out of somebody's blood. In order to get the, 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 those little metal balls, Mystique injected metal into that dude's body. Extra metal, yeah. So it wasn't like he sucked iron out of their bodies and used it as a weapon. She inserted metal into that dude's body, which was, by the way, the most hardcore scene I have ever seen <laughs> from that particular actress. Girl. That was hardcore. <laughs> that was that was metal. <laughs> In more than one way. Um, but, uh, so I don't think that I personally would not want to write a, an Earth Elemental with the ability to, to yank iron out of somebody's body and use it as a weapon. Because, what? I mean, Earth Elemental is plenty dangerous to somebody because an Earth Elemental could have the Earth swallow them whole. Um, so it's not like they're lacking in weapons. Oh, anybody. I mean, I knew that too, Ellie, about the 400 people in the blood. There, uh, there's a whole meme on it on Tumblr. Just saying. Although, honestly, I think it's more work. I mean, killing 400 people and harvesting all their blood and getting all their iron of it, would it just be honestly easier to go get iron? Like, literal iron? Just saying. It's a lot of work. Right? <laughs> Maybe a ritual knife. <laughs> no need to go murder 400 people for their iron. Well, so we, we've talked about, somebody asked about airbending. We're trying not to use fandom-specific terms, but we have talked about already the ability to um, manipulate to air. Use air to move to things around. To move things around, to use it to, de to deflect air like a tornado. Um, I would think to deflect the energy from a tornado, like change a tornado's path. Um, if it's a small tornado, you might, if you had one very, very strong elemental, they'd be able to handle it. But I would think generally like a big tornado, you would need multiple to like change its path. Otherwise, but I could do think that a single gifted air elemental could like protect, like put an air shield over like a house or something and protect it. But you'd also have to be careful about that because um, if you are responsible for deflecting a tornado and that tornado goes in a, in a direction that it wouldn't have naturally gone in and it kills 300 people instead of knocking down your barn. Yeah. But on the other so hand... You have to Look at the ripples and ramifications of the things that your characters would do in that kind of situation. Yeah, but on the other hand, well, I think there would be there would be um, choosing between your barn and a whole town full of people. You can rebuild your barn. <laughs> well, but it could, don't be it, that asshole. 
So it could be that the, I would think society would have evolved laws that protected the good Samaritan kind of thing, but it could be that it, that, that like an elemental is expected to like raise an air shield over a house to protect it rather than divert a tornado. And that any kind of diversion is supposed to be something that's like, maybe they try to divert multiple air elementals and water elementals work to divert um hurricanes as much as possible to try to keep them from hitting a town or something but that would be something that the that this you know this you know that would be organized at the city level as opposed to an individual but i would think if you like live in tornado alley and you're an air elemental that you would be perfectly within your rights to raise like an air shield over your house or throw an earth like throw like raise a rock wall around your house although that could wind up with a rock through your head but yeah I mean, I think that's probably some some really, you know, moderately powerful. You got to look at the construction of a tornado. Um, heat rising, cold air coming down. Isn't that how that works? So if you have somebody who can suck the heat, I mean, so you might have people who are trained to kind of take a tornado apart to its elements. Watch using the word elements. Watch using the word elements. <laughs> people yeah. start suggesting ripping iron out of people's blood again. <laughs> we don't want to do that. We don't we want to go, go there. there again. What I'm saying is, is that especially with the tornado and how we know a lot about how a tornado is is constructed and how it comes into being. And so, you know, a hurricane's one thing. A tornado is another. Um, hurricanes are nuclear level. Their nuclear force level. But a tornado, I mean, even the F5, which they call the finger of God, um, if you get enough elementals in one place, they could probably take it apart. Yeah. And it could be that in areas that are really susceptible to tornadoes, that that's one of the things they monitor is for tornado-like conditions, and then they get air elementals out to try to re, you know, normalize the situation. So that you don't end up with an F5. But all these things would be already established in your world. There's not things you have to worry about. But it's like it's kind of like a, it's a really fun mental problem to kind of play with. But these are kind of things that would already be um, fixed, and something you mentioned in passing. You know, um, like you know, my cousin works for a tornado strike team <laughs> in Kansas, or something like that. You know, it's like. Yeah, or or you could have a character who, after they finish their training out of college, that they did like a two year internship with a tornado team, to um, where they spent they spent their summers dispelling tornadoes. It's just random details you can put in that give more depth to your world without like dwelling on and that kind of thing. I think that probably early on in the history of this world that humanity um, would have focused on mitigating natural disasters. So this would be a well-oiled machine by the time your fandom comes into play because most of us play in modern fandoms. If you take this into like Middle Earth, that's a whole new ballgame. And I would actually split that up through species. I would make hobbits, earth elementals, I was like, if she says anything but Earth for hobbits, I'm going to just come right through the phone and smack her. <laughs> come on! Green magic? Hey. They're they're planting their food. All they do is eat. What else do they got? What else makes sense? They eat and farm and complain 
and, and make babies and make, and babies. make babies. So actually, if you if if you're gonna have them be like cradle hobbits, so you hobbits that have have babies in the ground, you want them to be earth elementals because you want them to be able to protect their cradles. It doesn't make you know nothing else makes sense. They they wouldn't be water. They wouldn't be air. I think air would probably be elves. Yeah. Dwarves would be fire. And it's tempting to make like Dwaro um Earth, but I think it'd be more fun if they were fire. <laughs> I think I think I think with their affinity with the forge, they'd have to be fire. Maybe fire with an earth sub affinity. You know, stone, masons, hot air. Queenie. <laughs> But wh- what else makes sense for a hobbit? Nothing. I mean, <laughs> in my head, Canon, they they grow in the ground. Of course, they're earth. <laughs> they're popping right out of that dirt. <laughs> that leaves like humans, a man, to be water elementals. Yeah. And the eagles are obviously air elementals. Mm-hmm. I think that orcs um, probably have no affinity, and neither do goblins, because I think that both... It's it's actually my headcanon that goblins are corrupted Dwaro, um, and I think that corruption destroys their affinity. Head Headcanon accepted. Actually, it's my specific headcanon that goblins are corrupted petty dwarves, but... It comes up in small magic, I think. Um, what's, a pe- what's a petty dwarf? A petty dwarf is a smaller species of dwaro um, that were often confused by man and elves with goblins. They were eventually driven out of the mountains by the um, the other dwaro, and that comes from um, Tolkien. Um, and so I was like, so what, so what are they and, and what did they become? And it made sense to me that if the orcs were exposed, if the elves were exposed to dark magic and became orcs and the, you know, the, um, the Maya turned into like Balrogs and worse, um, because of corruption, then what happened to these petty dwarves? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, well, the, well, hell, they, they turned into goblins. Because at a certain point in Middle Earth's history, they were already being confused for goblins. They were already being called goblins. So some of them were already turning into goblins. Goblins were existing. So I, you know, that was my, that's where my head kind of comes from on that. That goblins are petty dwarves that were corrupted by dark magic. I have no issue with this. Okay, so I like the idea of splitting the affinity along the different species in Middle Earth. I think that works really well. It'd be really interesting that, like in Stargate, if um, in Pegasus, that there, um, that like on Earth, like the like the biggest affinity is like air, but like in Pegasus, if most of Pegasus was full of fire elementals, <laughs> in response to the ray, like, like they're an, like like an adaptive trait, yeah. Like they were adapting to, um, like, like the elemental energy of the universe is adapting to the threat of the wraith, and most of most of the people they encounter in Pegasus are fire elementals, and people, you know, people like Rodney and Taylor are quite rare. I like that. 
uh, Taylor especially because if she's amongst her people and most of them are fire elementals and she's air. It could speak to her being um, experiment, her family line being experimented on by race. You think about how many race there are. And also you have to think about how the wraith were created in this particular universe. Um, the wraith are an experiment of, they're an experimental mesh of Erratus and Ancient. The first wraith was um, a genetically modified Ancient, basically. Um, so you have to ask yourself, what were the Ancients trying to do when they created the wraith this time? What are the, what affinities if any, did the wraith bring with them into this new existence? Well, that's where I think that you would have, it might be that the spirit affinity might be useful. That, like I mentioned earlier, that they are trying, they were trying to pursue this rare affinity for spirit um, as a path to ascension and trying to like maybe breed it. And their experiment, their experiment led to the wraith. Which is why their affinity, the only affinity the wraith have, because they're, they were successful after a fashion in terms of breeding an affinity true, but what they got was something that could eat spirit. Um, be really interesting is that why that's why they're capable of making people hallucinate. That one of the things that a spirit elemental is capable of is basically astral projection. She left me. So... <clears throat> Like the like the projection of their um, no, I mean they uh, Queenie um, they wrote um, Stargate Atlantis books, and that whole wraith was the ancient Aratus wraith thing happened. It, it um it was revealed in one of the books that took place after um season five, and I while I've never read those books, I did read um very very detailed summaries of them. Just so I could, you know, kind of, th you know, deepen my head cannon. But one of the reasons why, um, it's always in my head cannon that that the wraith were some form of ancient experiment, even before I re read that, because I felt like they created um, the ATA gene to combat the wraith using their technology. And why would they do that? Why would they have to do that? Where did that come from? So it seemed to me that they did that to keep the wraith from using their technology because the wraith that they had created already knew about their technology and so they needed to make sure that the wraith couldn't use it. So that's just my personal headcanon for that. That, the, that, they, that they created the ATA gene therapy to protect their tech from wraith. Um, Which makes I think, perfect sense. Yeah. Thanks. I try. I th it's almost like it's implicit I thought that was almost implicit in canon that, um, that that's what the gene was for because why would they want the wraith to be able to use their shit? Right. And that's all it does, right? Is allow them to use the tech. So let's look at, um, let's see the spirit affinity. Um, I think that having it in Pegasus would be horrifying to Pegasus natives because if only wraith have it in pegasus um them encountering um somebody from earth who has the spirit affinity <laughs> would freak them the fuck out <clears throat> no i would want john to be fire with a sub air um 
that's just my personal preference. I mean, you, you could obviously do whatever you wanted with it, but um, I wouldn't want to do, put. Um, John's got enough on his plate without being um, a pariah on top of it. It might be interesting if Elizabeth Weir has the spirit affinity, but she keeps it a secret and presents her sub affinity as her only affinity. Or she could be just claiming, you know, she could say, yeah, she could say, that, let's say her sub affinity is air. And um, she says that she's, it's a very weak affinity and she can't do much with it. And if your main affinity is weak, then maybe you don't even have a sub affinity. Yeah. So she's never had to do, she's like, I've never trained it because I didn't have enough to train. My affinity wasn't strong enough to train or something like that. Or you could go the route that somebody with the spirit affinity, because if it's really rare, um, maybe the first ancient who had the spirit affinity ascended. And that's how they even knew it was possible. And so their attempts to pursue ascension, and maybe it, maybe the spirit affinity made it easier or something like that. But what if you could have somebody who had the spirit affinity, what they're capable of doing was redirecting the flow of the wraith, eat food. Like they could pull that back out and give it back. It might be still be horrifying to the people in Pegasus, but it might not be so unwelcome. Right. Gandalf would have a spirit affinity. Maybe Samwise has a spirit affinity. Like Earth is his first and then his sub affinity is spirit. <laughs> He's so put upon. Did you see that? Um meme on Facebook where they had the entire fellowship listed and it said 100% yeah. and then they had a picture of just Sam Wise and it said 90% fellowship. I think it was not, wasn't it 199 or something like that? Like it's 99% and 100. Yeah, Sam, Sam Wise is basically 99% of the fellowship. Which is like accurate. Yeah. <laughs> In the end he was all Frodo needed. I just even just found it. What you would want to do, um, one of the things I think is actually people are really good at in, um, in, in, for the most part, in writing Sentinel Guides are known AUs, is that, um, that Sentinel and Guide is uh, entrenched fairly well into the world building. So it doesn't look out of place or weird or it doesn't stand out to the reader. And that's what you'd want to do with a, with a elemental AU is you would want to bake it in so it's not a surprise that your character is a fire elemental or um or that they you know can manipulate air you would want it to be um a very natural part of the world that you're building so in doing that you would also not want to call explicit attention to their use of their gifts as a gimmick because it's nothing special so you don't want to treat it like it's special if it's part of their everyday life. Does that make sense? This has a beautiful cake. Yeah, it, it makes sense to me. So, like, you would have to think about what would things, if somebody's a fire elemental, what would things they would naturally do without, they would just do. They wouldn't think about it. They would just do it. Like, if a fire elemental's coffee is cold, do they just heat it up? I would say that um, a fire elemental's coffee never gets cold. <laughs> <laughs> I 
is a fire elemental never cold period if they don't want to be um Actually, I think that while it's tempting to write your character fidgeting or playing with fire, um, like when they're sitting at their desk or something, I think that would be actually pretty rude. Um, that using your gifts like that out in public and um, it will be considered crass. Yeah, and in yeah. some cases, threatening. Yeah, and actually, outside of um, outside of emergency situations a water elemental pulling water from the air because they're thirsty dehydrating the environment might not be considered socially kosher can you not dry out the whole office just go to the fucking water fountain like the rest of us for fuck's sake <laughs> on the other hand they could be asked to use their gifts like in the let's say the hvac system goes down right a fire elemental might at, be asked to warm things up a little bit in the building or something like that but to just casually fling fire around i think would be an issue you just imagine rodney just casually pushing his coffee cup down the table to john <laughs> john <laughs> my coffee's cold <laughs> <laughs> But really, and honestly, what would probably happen is over a period of time is that John would just sit by Rodney and every once in a while he would just reach out and touch his cup. And it would be yeah. a very um, low, low, it wouldn't even hit people's radar what he was doing. Yeah, memes would be something, you'd have Facebook memes and stuff like, you know, what you know, just joke memes where it's like if you're in a relationship with a fire elemental, you never have to heat your coffee. Just, <laughs> you know. Certainly the best bed warmers. In John's case, more than one way. <laughs> a file in the middle would be the best person to deliver pizza. <laughs> Your pizza is never cold. So, but yeah, I mean, you would want to bake it into your world so that it doesn't look... I mean, yes, there there will be moments where you would want your character to stand out if there's like an emergency or something. But for the most part, you want your character's um, affinities to be just be part of their natural world. So you don't want to draw attention to it in your narrative and you don't want to um, make a spectacle of it. Because then it will stand out and not look normal. You would also have to have laws in place to handle the abuse of power. Of course, Gordon Ramsay is a fire elemental. We're not writing RPS though. <laughs> but yes. Um, but yeah, I mean, you would be like, you wouldn't, um, but you would want to build in things like, um, you know, there would be, um, you know, accidentally setting your partner on fire during an argument. You go to jail for that shit. Not having control over your ability and causing somebody else injury could get you put in jail. Purposely using your your um, um, your gift to injure somebody during a fight, I think, would actually come with special circumstances. You know, punching somebody in the face during an argument—you know, you're, you're in a bar somewhere. Okay, not okay. You're gonna get in trouble, but well, yeah, but you're gonna go. That, that's just simple assault, right? But if you set them on fire <laughs> or, um strengthen your fist to be like stone before you hit them and crack their skull. I think that's special circumstances. So you would want to pay attention to that and you wouldn't want your your characters to use their affinity to bully others. One of the worst things I see, this happens a lot in NCIS where Tony's getting his revenge on everybody. Um, 
and he gets really abusive, you don't want to superpower your characters and then make them abusive on top of it. Number one, don't make your character abusive, but you know, don't let don't set up situations where your character bullies people with their affinity. Because that's bad characterization. And often like you'll see a scene where Tony is behaving terribly, and you know the writer did not mean to make him seem like this arrogant, violent bully in this scene. He's supposed to be getting his own, right? He's supposed to be getting um revenge on what for what happened to him but instead he's been turned into this monster that you would not want to be in a long room with it's raging asshole that you start to, le- to legitimately fear for other characters in the room because of his behavior and yeah when i'm sympathizing with ziva right y- you might have gone too far Right, I mean, because because the actress who plays Ziva is actually a really small woman, and Michael Weatherly is actually a pretty tall guy. So when you have him physically bullying her, like looming over her in a way that's like often I've seen it sexually threatening. Um, dudes, seriously, dudes, don't threaten female characters that you hate with rape. And don't have your female character that you're getting rid of because you don't like her gang raped and sold into slavery either. For the record. Putting that out there. Just saying. I mean. Yeah, I mean, if you have a female character who's an asshole, sure, get rid of her. But don't use sexual violence as a weapon. And I see it too much in fandom for it to be anything less than on purpose. That kind of internalized misogyny, you girls you need to stop and most of the time it is female writers we need to acknowledge this do you want to talk about the other thing which other thing the height thing the height thing oh oh the height thing the you height don't have thing. to no yeah yeah so i was talking to somebody and um we were talking about because Tony and Elliot Spencer came up in sprints the other day and um, Lady Holder was rereading my uh, Tony Elliot Spencer story. And, um, and I got to talking to somebody else about the pairing and they said that they've always like seen the potential in the pairing, but that they just never been able to couldn't like, make it work because they saw Elliot as a top. And I was sort of like, I was a little bit flummoxed by that, but I was like, well, okay. I mean, I don't have a problem with one side of a pairing being like a sole top. Um, I don't have a problem with that. If that, if that, if that, if that's what shakes your tree, then write it that way. She says, "Oh well, but he's he's like um, five or six inches shorter than Tony." And I just, I was like, "Your stumbling block is that that Elliot's shorter." And so there was this, she'd equated in her mind, the smaller character, the shorter character would be the the bottom in the relationship. And so because she saw Elliot as having a top-like personality, that it didn't make sense that Elliot would be the top because he's smaller. Well, that comes from the idea that the female is always the bottom and the female is typically smaller than the male. So this is just complete some sort of internalized sexism, some sort of ism. 
Yeah, Lady Hildred, in that picture up there, she's probably wearing heels. So she's probably three or four inches shorter than that. I mean, he's 6'2". I think she's, what, 5'3"? Yeah, I think he's nearly a foot taller than her. She is a little woman. She's Oh, she's 5'6". So she he's uh he's eight eight inches taller eight than inches. she is. So but my point is is that there was this equation, you know, she'd equated height, size to 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 top to top bottom dom sub equation. I was like, that's no. No, no, no. My issue with trying to get the pairing to work more outside of that one sentinel guide relationship, I just don't see Tony being morally flexible enough for what Elliot does. So, but my issue with the pairing has absolutely nothing at all to do with um, the height difference. <laughs> I just, I, ladies, that definitely is. We got, we got to work on this internalized misogyny. Stop it. And for the record, um, like in a dom sub relationship, dominance and submission has absolutely nothing to do with penetration. No, it doesn't have anything to do with size either. Um, because that's ridiculous. Because in that mindset, what you're saying is that every woman in ties that bind is actually a submissive, which is ridiculous. I was I was reading a BDSM story the other day, or trying to. I eventually noped out of it. Every single dom, every single one, even the ones in same-sex pairings, were big, were muscular, were capable of carrying their partners, physically carrying them. Even the men, the male-male pairings. Come on now. I'm talking pr full on Princess Carrie here. And I'm like, that's just not. And that's just, that's, that's just some bizarre. I mean, that, okay. They're all, they were also all male, all male, um, big, strong, you know, capable of carrying their partners around. And that's just, that's some sort of, I don't know what that is, but we need to knock it off. Which is fine. If that's somebody's fantasy, if, if their fantasy is to have a big, big bad dom who can carry them around and they want to work that out in their fiction, that's fine. But it it does cause a suspension of disbelief issue. And it reads like it, it reads like some kind of misogyny of some sort. Um, because what you're saying is that women aren't capable of being doms. I'm not sure about the mutually carry thing. I'm not sure what you mean, Alexander. Because there I, I've had some very very petite women and very petite men. They're topping from the bottom. There are two definitions for that term. You know? One of them is really rude. So. Right. We'll get you kicked right out of my bed. Um, <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, Jillian. <laughs> I don't like being manipulated that way is how I feel about it. Topping from the bottom in the physical situation means that the bottom, the person who's being penetrated is in control of the situation. Um, they are topping from the bottom. But in a BDSM relationship, it is a submissive who is attempting to manipulate and control the situation um, in the face of the dom. And that is very rude. But a lot of people use topping from the bottom wrong in fandom. So it's just it's a term I like to avoid because they don't know what they're talking about. And it's, you know, getting conversation and it's just blah. 
<laughs> so I have, I have, I wrote a character who always bottoms sexually, right? I wrote a character, this is not fan fiction. I wrote a character who always bottoms sexually. He doesn't, he's not interested in anything but a dick and his prostate. That's what he wants. And he's very aggressive about it. He's very bossy. He's not a submissive. He's like, you're going to fuck me in the ass. And if that's not your, if that's not your, your, your game, I'm not interested in playtime with you. <laughs> these are my requirements. <laughs> and it is perfectly okay to have these kinds of requirements. As opposed to, you know, in a BDSM relation with a submissive is like, or, you know, is, is, is manipulating the Dom. And that's, it's not cool. And some people actually, the funny thing is because it's such a misunderstood term, um, it's such a misunderstanding. Some people think it literally means the person lying down on their back <laughs> if they're if they're on the bottom, and if they're in charge, they're topping from the bottom. It's. Well, I've actually had someone tell me once that it meant that the person on that the um person doing the penetration was on bottom, and like you know, like like the cowboy position that's topping from the bottom. Well, I mean, after I a fashion. Like, I was like, bless your heart. <laughs> Is that really what you think? <laughs> I think a lot of people mean, I think when people, most people mean it, what they mean is that the person being penetrated is in, is in control. Um, that's how I do it. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is fine. If that's what you need, you can you, right? Um <laughs> Like I said, because I, you know, I'd had there'd been, you know, a certain element in a lot of my relationships in the past, that kind of topping from the bottom, the other kind of topping from the bottom is not unfamiliar to me and I have no patience for it. <laughs> but in situations in the past where I have um, submitted, genuinely submitted, that was never even a consideration. So the problem becomes is that when someone's um, in a BDSM relationship and they are topping from the bottom is they're not actually genuinely submitting to begin with. Which is fraud. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It's like, why are you trying to control the situation? Why are you trying to? I mean, I've I've had that like conversation with somebody. Like, why are you trying to control the situation? Why are you trying to control the situation? And that leads to this is a whole tangent. But that leads to the perception that, and I see people say this is that 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 the submissive controls everything. The submissive has all the power, which is actually like the most ridiculous myth in BDSM that is perpetuated by people online is that the submissive has all the power. Because what that implies is there's a whole bunch of doms out there being sexually abused. Because <laughs> if you don't... What they, if you, I think what they mean to say is that you can't have dominance without genuine submission. But honestly, you can't have genuine submission without dominance. It's a, um, There's an equality there. If you can't I mean, if, if you are submitting and the person you're submitting to is incapable of exerting dominance, then neither one of you are getting your needs met. Right. Because I've been in that situation where I was ready to... I have never come so, clo so close to whooping a grown man's ass in my life. <laughs> I was... It was like I was playing Monopoly and he was playing checkers. Yeah, sometimes you're just really out of sync with somebody. I mean, like, really out of sync. It's like, what is going on here? Like, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like, are you going to beat my ass or what? It's like, I'm going to beat your ass when I'm ready to beat your ass. 
this is the pact, right? So there is um, masochism and sadism do not require that power exchange. The power exchange is limited to, you know, I, I give you consent to to beat my ass, and the other person goes, and I consent to beat your ass, and <laughs> dominance and submission not required. And so you, there can actually be there's a different element there. But when you have an actual like power exchange, and you, it's not just you know, bending over and taking it because you get off on the pain. And there's there's nuance. Some people are both sadists, I mean, both masochists and submissives, but it's, you know, but when it comes to, when I have people tell me, you know, they're talking to other submissives and I'll hear them say, oh, the submissive has all the power. I'm like, they're the ones who can stop and start the scene. I'm like, oh, baby. You think, so what, they're doms not the are- the only ones who can doms start are, and stop a scene. Doms are victims in this? Is that the deal? I'm like- <laughs> We just sexual play toys for you? Is that how this works? I don't think so, sweet pea. It takes two to tango. Literally. Right, that's the point. If everybody comes into the situation, and that the point actually is that is that the dominant and the submissive have equal power. One is not better than the other. And it's a power exchange because the submissive gives up their power. Um bearing in mind that they can stop it when they want. But it's not giving up your power if you're trying to control everything. <laughs> How did we get here? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Somebody said something about toppling from the bottom, and oh, it's we both kind assault. of in, we both kind of internally froze. <laughs> <laughs> you hit a button. <laughs> I actually don't like that term at all, um, personally, because it's misused so often um, to such a disgusting degree that it's just like fuck you. <laughs> Picking it's this term. I how don't you get like this it. Tangent. <laughs> um, I think that uh, one thing I think people would be very tempted to do in an elemental AU is to include psi force events. So you want to be careful about um, what you do with um, mental abilities and um, how you shape how the elements are used in your AU. It's like you want somebody to be able to use air like to move things around um but you don't want to have a character so um capable that they could actually create a tornado at least on a large scale um again it, it goes back to superpower on your characters it also well, but maybe, I mean, that could be like actually one of the issues, right? Is that there are some people who are, that could be one of the conflicts in your universe, right? Is it, depending upon what you want to do, and you have to just account for it, is that there could be people who are just really very strong in their gift. And that on the one side, you've got the people who try to, who have to maybe help control that, try to catch these people. But then you run into how do you control somebody who can do this kind of thing? Do they have power suppressors? Have they worked that out? What did they do in the past? Were they just executed when they went off the reservation kind of thing? Um, what what was what did that look like? Um, but because then if you've got, you know, because if you've got good guys who are super powered, you're going to have bad guys who are super powered. So if somebody's creating a tornado to destroy something, a small tornado or a small water spout or something, um, someone's going to want to go find them, and how, what does that look like? So you, when you when you add those levels of power skill, you you complicate your world building quite a bit because you are adding a layer of conflict that you have to account for. How do they find people like this? How do they control people who are way off the charts with their powers? And um, like if you're arrested, 
if you're an earth elemental, where do they put, if you're an earth elemental who is super powered and you've been doing naughty things, where exactly can they put you in prison that you couldn't get out of? I mean, what kind of security um, do banks have? Right. So when you, when you superpower people, you just, you, you've got the complications you've got to work out. So it's like, just don't do it and not think about it. You can do it, but you need to think about the ramifications of it. I think they probably would at the point of a, like a modern AU have developed um, suppression drugs. I don't know about a suppression collar in like a modern. Like if you want to go like as far as like Star Trek level of technology, I would say yes to a suppression collar or, or and that kind of thing. But like in a modern setting, I would say no to a suppression collar personally. Um, but that would be something that you that you would decide when you were getting ready to write. What would be the level of control that could be exerted over a criminal elemental? Well, the point would be scare. You don't create a suppression collar or any kind of suppression device and want it to be a secret. It's supposed to be a deterrent. And you've got someone who's so fucked up that they're, you know, setting people on fire or breaking into banks and robbing them blind and they can't keep them in prison um, or they got them in prison, but they can't control them. So they're putting them in a collar. It's a very obvious thing to do. Um, and it's a deterrent that that's what prison is. It's supposed to be a deterrent. You're being, that's why, you know, that, that would be what it was. And so I dropped my fucking pen again. I dropped that pen four times tonight. I have to glue it to your hand. Um, um, I think people who can't control it for one reason or another, they, they might have the ability to neuter them. Like block their access to their. I would think if you've got problems that you can't control because of an accident or PTSD or something, that you would seek out the suppression drugs to help you control your gift. Unless um, you're an asshole, and then you're going to end up in a collar anyway. Yeah. Like I said, I wouldn't use collars in a modern day, um, but our society already has a history of using drugs to control people. Um. There are pedophiles walking around right now who take uh, drugs for for chemical castration that allows them to walk around free from prison. That that's a thing. So chemical castration um, is not out of line at all in an AU like this. Yeah, but like I said, I think a collar is probably too advanced technology. Personally, depending because on it family. implies a level of. Um, technology that they're subduing a part of the brain with a device that you're wearing on your body i don't think our tech is there for that no but it depends on your fandom because they, they could have found stuff in the stargate fandom they could have found stuff on on atlantis or in the outpost they that were like there were like suppression collars or suppression wristbands or something and that they um were able to duplicate the technology figure out how it worked so stargate star trek star wars I would say those would all have some kind of suppression device, but like modern AUs outside, fandoms outside of that would depend on surgery and chemicals. Yeah. And I, you got to bear in mind, if you're going to have people so strong that they would, you know, that their gifts get out of control and like they are able to commit significant crimes with them, they're murdering with their gift. Um, 
in the past, those people were probably executed. That would be the reality that you're you're dealing with there, is when when you have a dangerous element in society way back when that they couldn't didn't have any means to control, they would just execute them, and they probably used other other elementals to do it with. They would have had to have. Um, I don't actually. I t I tend to think that their Ronin's runner implant wouldn't have a suppressor, or at least not much of one, because the point of the runner was to provide the race with a challenge, training. He's trading in a challenge. He's not much of a challenge if they've he's been neutered. suppressed. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, yeah. In the past, yeah, Kaya, there wouldn't be asylums. There would just be executions because. Well, there would probably still be asylums, but just for like regular crazy people who had minor gifts who really couldn't, you know, do anything with them to get out. <laughs> <laughs> right. They they could be controlled by other elementals, right? Right. So if you had other elementals on staff who could keep their gifts under control. But the strong ones, they would have just been executed. And it might have even yeah. been relatively recent that, you know, until the advent of drugs that could, could could help suppress that stuff. It would, you know, so it wouldn't be way back. Like, we're not talking the Dark Ages. It'd probably be, you know, the 1900s, early 1900s, they probably were still executing people. But the more you superpower people, the more ripples you have when it comes to like suppression, execution, um, government control, um, the confiscating of really powerful children to be trained by the government. These are the kind of ripples that you would have to address, which is why I would avoid it as much as possible. Personally. Yeah. Um, somebody asked about nulls. Um, nulls is something you could do or not. It'd be up to you. Um in terms of how they'd be treated, again, up to you. So that's nothing that I don't think the world building is particularly, um, you could, it's dealer's choice. Do you want it in or not? I think that if you put nulls in, um, you're looking, you're looking at a situation like what happens in Harry Potter with people who are not magical being called muggles or, um, in Sentinel AUs, um, I often use the word mun mundane to describe people who are not Sentinel and guide. Um, I had a reader once accuse me of, um, uh, derogatory language for using the word mundane. Like, it just means normal. Well, I mean, what word that, that we talked about this one day, right? I remember you, we did, we talked about this and I think maybe even group chat about what is the better word, right? And no word comes off right in that context. I mean, the because normal? the other, the other, it, the other thing is to say that sitting on gods are abnormal. Right. Normal is, I actually think normal is worse. I think normal is worse too. So, I, you know, so, but if you build that null thing in, you and even the word null could be considered ne re really negative, um, you have to decide um, what kind of conflict is going to come out of that. Um, and I would avoid it basically by just by giving everybody a basic level of elemental ability and some are more talented than others. Now, when I wrote this, the cyber, the psionic thing, the psy gifts, the psychic gifts, I did build nulls in as well, but the nulls have a, a vital function. So it's not like they would be second class citizens, but any, you know, and not everybody's psychic anyway, but the nulls had a, a significant role to play and they were highly sought after because um, it helped people who were struggling with their psychic gifts um, have somebody to focus on. They couldn't read. So the nulls felt felt soothing to people who were struggling with like out of control empathy or telepathy or something. So you could do something um, 
Well, I don't, I mean, I'm not sure I understand the equivalency there that if there are nulls, there are also sinks. I, I don't see how those two things directly equate. You could write sinks, but I don't, I don't think that because you have nulls, there have to be sinks. Uh, I mean, I I don't, I don't, zero, the, the, the zero positive negative. I, see, the thing is, I don't see the elemental ability as not being able to be something that they couldn't. Um, so, like, I would think somebody who's a fire elemental could not just generate heat, but they could pull heat. So, to me, that would be the same thing as a sink. So, I don't know why you would have a sink. For me, as opposed to zero positive negative, which is the way you look, you, you mentioned it there, I would look at it more as on and off, you know. If you're going to do a null, they don't have the ability. They have nothing. It's 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 blank, right? So yes or no. More binary is in terms of. But you could you could write a sync if you wanted to. It's just you'd need to work out how that's not redundant and why it's necessary and what it what does it do for you? Because sometimes putting something in that complicates your world building, that doesn't actually do much, just is complication. And I see people do that all the time, right? They put very complicated things in their world building that don't net them anything. And then you're like, why? Fuck you, why? Why is this complicated <laughs> thing in there? You you gave me this really cool thing, but you're not doing anything with it. Now I'm at the end of the story, and you never did anything with it. And what's wrong with you? Why? Everything. Why? <laughs> Fuck you, why? <laughs> I mean that with all affection. <laughs> So I don't know that we have much more. I felt like this would be, this is a pretty, of of the concepts we came up with, this one is pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Straightforward, you know? People have these abilities and, and you can make it as complicated or as straightforward and simple as you want it to be. You could have it be a subset of society has these abilities. You could have, be everybody. It could be... Um, you could do something very dystopian if you want to do. I'm not going to help you plot that, but you could. Um, <laughs> I find it to be a very straightforward layer you could put on on your world. Um, I was sitting here pondering. I think I would make the unicorn a water elemental. <sighs> I think. I mean, I see it. With a sub-affinity for air. Maybe Earth, but there's kind of like something like, oh, you make mud. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, th I think I'd probably do water and air. Not that a mudslide can't be like a terrifying force of nature. But you see the entire side of a mountain go away in a mudslide. It's like, oh, and take about 50 cars with it. It's it's no not good. It's terrible. Still. So you make mud. <laughs> So can a water elemental breathe underwater? Or would it be an air elemental? I think an air elemental could probably bring their own air with them and they wouldn't they could breathe underwater. Could keep probably create an air bubble underwater. Mm -hmm. And they probably Whereas a water could... elemental probably could pull um oxygen out of the water. Yeah. If they're really good, but that's that kind of atomic level of manipulation that we were talking about. It is. Yeah. We'd have so you'd have to decide exactly what level. Like are they able to pull you have to be careful that you're consistent, right? Because if someone's able to actually like pull air out of the water, well, wh what does that imply about other gifts? Traveling through their element. That's if, the traveling through their element to me is getting a little bit into the. Um, that's a level of gift that I think would be problematic. 
in a kind of like element, we'll call this elemental realism as well. We've been kind of talking about elemental realism. Um, what will be really interesting is if you, like, we're talking about the, the whole time this, this elemental thing has been a mental thing. It's been a brain thing. Um, what, about, what, what if it physically manifests as well? Like water follows you around? I mean, no, like the, if you are a water elemental, you have gills. Yeah, good. Air elementals have wings. I don't know what the hell fire would have. Scales. I don't know. Earth elementals would be, you know, yeah. I mean, it's just something to think about. I probably wouldn't do that in a modern AU, but I think it'd be really interesting to put in, um, like uh, a Hobbit AU or Lord of the Rings. I wouldn't want to equate um, fire with the devil. But I wouldn't mind equating fire with a dragon. <laughs> yeah, there's that. <laughs> Don't piano me. Um, no, if it's I mean, I just think that would be really piano, interesting piano to her. in um a like in like in the Hobbit. I think that would be really interesting to explore. Um, but I wouldn't want to do it in a modern. Yeah, where you wear your affinity on your skin could be. Um, but you could do like um what would be really interesting um is like if um the affinities had um I have an AU that I've not published anywhere. Um it's a Sentinel God AU. Um where John where Sentinels and Guides when they manifest, they also manifest tattoos of their spirit animals. And their spirit animal lives in their skin and can come out of their body and out of their skin um in times um when they're needed. And Rodney's is a phoenix and John's is a dragon. Nice. I like it. Um and so John comes to Atlantis. Um, and meets McKay, and he's like, "Game on! <laughs> Where have you been? <laughs> I am on this." <laughs> and so, um, they're uh, in in times of stress or in in dire need. They're they're tattoos. They're not actually tattoos. They're they're the they're the physical representation of their the tattoos come out of their body. And so John's dragon comes out of his body the first time he encounters a wraith. That wraith didn't see that shit coming. <laughs> Did it eat it? Yeah. <laughs> he, fu he fucked that wraith up. But, and then it's like, it's, um, so it'd be really interesting in an elemental universe where if the elementals had um, elemental spirit animals attached to them, um, um, then like you know for the most part it's like really kind of normal animals like you know if you, sometimes earth elementals have a spirit snake you know in their skin that might come out you know talk to them chat with them or whatever and then you have you know you know just just that kind of thing like air elementals have birds you know kind of like living tattoos I had what if what if what if there's like a sentience about the elements on Earth, right? That there's kind of like a there's like a psionic sentience or something. And what if um, that that force, whatever it is, um, periodically that there's always for each element, like a high priest or whatever you want to call it, you could pick a different term. Um, 
and what if uh, you I mean you could write it like it so there's one 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 person for each element in the whole earth that is basically is that's one one so there's four total that are super powered and you could write it about your character coming into their ability as like the next high priest of their element or whatever you want to call it you could have them be the mage the archmagus or you know depending upon what kind of terminology you wanted to use and that would allow you if you this wanted speak, to write um, this could go back to control that one person who is like basically the king of their element king or queen of their element um has the ability to to subjugate somebody in their element if they misbehave right it's sort of like how you have the shamans and the sentinel universes you could have one it, it could be more it could be a couple of people but you know i'd probably be inclined to do one um like an authority over the element it's like if you misuse right. your element i will take it from you this, this is this is you know good morning water elementals it's time for your daily spanking um <laughs> to that asshole in nebraska look dude i know i know that that drought's getting really out of hand um so i so i need you to calm down and give the water back to nebraska <laughs> don't make me come down there that's right <laughs> i am busy and they could do that thing. They could do what we talked about is they could block somebody's access to their gift. And so, you know, it's like if I were doing that, I'd probably write Tony as, you know, <laughs> the next water elemental priest or something. And, you know, he maybe he's kind of hiding from this fate or something. He knows his gift is a little bit out of control. And the the existing priest who's ready to step down, step down um, is trying to find his replacement like it's got to be got to be maybe that's the way it works is they know when it's time to step down as you know and and they give up part of their gift when they are when they step down and he knows it's time for him to kind of pass the mantle as it were but his successor is hiding from him <laughs> he's like what the fuck <laughs> where is this guy they're supposed to step up <laughs> like dude i know i know but I'm kind of tired up here. I've been holding this glacier by myself with global warming and the damn fire elementals aren't participating in the way they should be. And there's fucking polar bears. I need you to come up here. <laughs> Stop being a jerk. <laughs> Do you have any ideas? I mean, they could be like water out, water elementals are the big, they're, they're such emoters and I am so tired of all of the drama. So if you could please just step up, that'd be great. Tony can be like, they've proven that those stereotypes about the elements is not true. He's like, dude, shut up. When you've had to deal with a hundred water elementals having a moment, you can talk to me about how those are stereotypes. So it could be fun to like work in like a hierarchy for your elements so that you could write some characters who are a little bit, and it and it would be accepted and kind of built into your world that they're acceptable that it's acceptable for the the people in this hierarchy to be super powered because i do like me my you could take character. a you, you, you could take a small page out of marvel's doctor strange where didn't they have like um temples uh yeah they're called uh sanctums sanctums they had sanctums in like various cities yeah, I think there were four. Four, but but you could have more, and then like that could be one main place where your head elemental is, um, and then there could be like you know 
branches so that elementals in various areas would have a place to go if they need help. It was like educational centers, um, training, um, if they get sick. You know, I imagine that a sick elemental would probably need extra help. The more like powerful they are, especially if they're like having fevers and like encephalitis will, um, <laughs> that they can lose control of their gifts. So they would want to retreat to a sanctuary of some kind specifically made for themselves. Yeah. So like, you know, a fire elemental would retreat to a fire sanctuary because that sanctuary has been designed to contain and help him. Etc. Yeah, that could really that could be really powerful. I like that. And that gives you an infrastructure much like the center and got Sentinel and Guide Center, which you guys are very familiar with, having done that for a long time. And you know, if those of you who do that kind of thing, um, those of you who Sentinel and Guide, which um, a bunch of you will be Sentinel and Guiding next year, we're gonna make it. A, <laughs> we're making it a verb. We're making it a year. <laughs> I'm super excited, actually. I didn't think I would be because, you know, I kind of like got burned out on it. But now I'm like, I'm gearing in. I mean, we're, <sighs> April is on the horizon, guys. It's on the horizon. We got a whole bunch of podcasts planned around the Sentinel Guide thing. Sentinel With some beautiful thing. art. I have beautiful art. She does have beautiful art. I'm going to share my art with the with the audience. But I do think that um do you think that what? That, that the sanctuaries would um kind of mirror the Sentinel and Guide Center. Um so it'd be a very feel be a very familiar system for you to work with. Yeah, I agree. I think that it would. And that's I think that's the direction I would go um as well. So that I could um you know, superpower my unicorn because why not? I would write John as a fire, like I said, and he would be, he would have a sub for air. He would have a sub aff affinity for air. Um, and he would have like probably had to fight pretty much long and hard to stay, to, to both go into the air force and to be a pilot. Um, although he might have like had to negotiate and went into the Marines instead, as long as he got to be a pilot. <laughs> It's like, okay, I'll go into the Marines like you want me to, like most fires do, but I want to be a pilot. <laughs> so you're going to have to give me that too. You know, to kind of, kind of you know, negotiate it a little bit. And I would think that some branches would be like, okay, um, we, we really want air. We really want water. We really want fire. Depending on what the um, branch is doing and like, you know, obviously, I think that the Air Force and the Navy would be really interested in having air for pilots. Mm -hmm. um, whereas, like, the Army and the Marines would be very interested in having fires for ground troops. SEALs would want... Would want... Water? Probably water. Yeah. Water, probably water earth. and air. Well, I think more water and earth. But, yeah, air, too. Actually, SEALs would probably want to try to recruit, like, all of it. Like, we're going to need right, it all out there. We we want to we want to dig in. We want everybody. But yeah, I mean, I would say, and like you know, they were like, okay, you know, and John, you get to be a pilot, but you have to go into the Marines. And he went, okay, I'll wear, I'll look bad in the Marine uniform. <laughs> Frankly, you don't look bad in any of the uniforms. <laughs> That's right. Now, it could be, it could be even something like in the military that, um, like we talked about at the beginning, that you wouldn't necessarily. You, 
a team with a team that formed like on Atlantis, the AR teams, you're not going to have a complete balance in gifts, but it could be that the small fire teams with the seals, because of what they do, that they do strive to have them have one per, because it's usually fire teams are, I think four to five people. Mm-hmm. If they could actually like try deliberately to make sure they have one of each element on the team, it could be part of how they build the team because they're Even trying how they to get, recruit. Yeah. Because they're trying to build that kind of balance out in the fields so that they have every possible advantage to be able to complete their mission. Mm-hmm. You look at professions like um, I would say that people who are, who are earth would be um, like um, very good at um, construction, mining, engineering, geology, botany, if you're looking at the structure of the SGC, you look at a character like um, Carter, who is um, an astrophysicist and an engineer. Um, you got to look at like her element and what. See, I think the elements would be um, not so much like, like we talked earlier about how elements wouldn't be personality um, oriented, but I do think your element might shape your career path. So when you're picking your elements for your characters you need to look at their career that they're currently in in their fandom and make sure that their element matches the care the the job that they're in in fandom right because you wouldn't want to give a character like um mckay a um I mean, I think it's tempting because he has such a temper to make him a fire but that's not realistic for his job Although, I think that if he was a fire elemental, he wouldn't have gone in the direction that he did in canon. True, except what if you what if you're a fire elemental and they're like that is as smart as him? What do they do with that? You know, I don't know. Um, but I just think you'd be careful with your choices and and not just pick a sexy element because you like it. You got to look at your character and see how that element would have shaped their life because. The least attention you pay to that, the more world building you have to do later. And the more character work you'll have to do later as well to explain their canon choices. Yeah. So basically you would be lampshading their canon choice. You'd be lampshading your choice for this sexy element to keep them in their canon circumstances. And that's a lot of work that you don't need (laughs) to do (laughs) that I would not want to do personally. Yeah, you can do it, but you know, do you want to do it? So Tony would be a water. I think so. I think it would actually f- even fit his c- tr- career trajectory. He's fluid. Um, he's adaptable. He's inevitable. <laughs> yeah. I also think he's very, can be very empathetic. Mm-hmm. He's very good. He can be very good with victims. Um, and, and that, yes, that's me equating water with like the astrological um, connotation of water signs, but I, d- I think it does. It's part of the overall picture for him. Is um, and he's persistent, and water, water can destroy stone. Mm-hmm. It is very persistent. Nothing has shaped this planet more. Nothing has shaped this planet more since it became since it became a solid ball. Yeah. I mean, I don't, water. I, I don't think the other elements, I mean, maybe the only other element that maybe fits him, maybe earth, 
but I don't see him as grounded enough for Earth. No, no, I agree. What what would be his sub element? Did you say? I was thinking air, but I could also see his sub element being fire. I just I I don't know why I edge away from fire for him because I don't see Tony as being um don't see it. I look um I'll go with air as well. I I would think water and air. Um. And if I were doing that idea, like I mentioned, where he's like supposed to be the next whatever, the next like ascendant version of a water elemental. Um, so maybe he's always been adept. Um, I might even, you could even write that he has some, you know, um, that he just doesn't want to deal with it. That it, maybe he has some issue around it because of his mother's death or something. Um but I probably would shape shape his career a little bit differently. Like he maybe came into NCIS a little bit differently than he did. Because yeah, especially if he like hit you know finished puberty and he was showing it, being adept with water, I don't know that he would have had the same trajectory through college. I would imagine like whatever time your your the strength of your ability manifests, that they're going to want you to immediately get training. So if let's say that's at the end of puberty, right? Like your body's finished developing. And so mm -hmm. now you're, you're, you can, and now you can be tested once you're, and that could be anywhere. Some people end puberty at 13 or 14 and some people puberty's over at 20. Right. So, I mean, it just, everybody's on limited different scale, but it could be that once they start manifesting their gift is when they can test how strong it is. And if he tested as adept, like right away, they could be like, well, you have to get training before you do anything else. You can't go right off to college. And so that could alter your character's trajectory a little bit. Um, and then get him into NCIS maybe in a different way where he's recruited from Flat C or something at, at a younger age. So it'd just be things to think Because things he would, is a water, he might have been encouraged, not required, but encouraged to do a tour in the Navy. Yeah. And he, so he could come that. four years out of the Navy, um, maybe be in the reserves in college. Um, and get recruited to NCIS that way. It takes him out of the street cop thing, but no, you don't. You, you don't become a seal in four years. That's ridiculous. Well, there are a few people who like who almost. It's rare, but there are a few people who come almost out of the Naval Academy and go all and almost to buds. I mean, like, but they have to be exceptional. Their fit reps have to be exceptional in order to be able to do that. Because I was reading about it, it's unusual. Um, but on the other hand, I think you can't be older than what is it, twenty-eight or something like that to join the SEALs to start. Can, so, to but if he but if he does training um, for his gifts after puberty, um, then he goes to Annapolis. That's what four years. Yeah. Um, then four years um, active duty in the Navy. That puts him. 28 or 29 getting out. Yeah. I mean, the thing is also the thing is I would never, I would never write Tony as a seal unless Tony, it was his career. Because right. Because just, I don't see you going into the seals if you're going to get out. Yeah. That is, that is something people do because it, it, it's a vocation for them. They don't do it for a few years and leave unless they, unless they get injured. I mean, it's two and a half, two to two and a half years of training, at least to be a seal. So why go do that and then get it out after a six-year enlistment? 
there's some occupations that like some like there's certain brands i don't remember what it was something i was reading that there's one one bit of specialized training like if you're if you come from a certain part of the navy and they're like putting you in they're trying to get you to go through, and you make it to buds and seal qualification training that you're training you do for that thing i can't remember what it is it's like an additional year on top of all the other specialized training and so you don't do that and then go work at NCIS. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Unless you get injured out and then you might not even qualify to work in law enforcement. So, I mean, you might be too injured to remain a SEAL, but you'd have to like walk the fine line of what injury would make, it, make you ineligible to be a SEAL, but still allow you to be Organ a, federal, a, for, a federal agent. If you lose a kidney, you can't serve yeah. in the um, yeah. military, kidney but you could yeah. be a cop. So that would do it. Part of a lung, probably. Probably. I would say definitely if you're a SEAL, if if you can't, I think you're done if 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 you get lung damage. Yeah, I'm very. I'm just. I'm very entertained by the the notion of Tony as a SEAL. Um, I uh, just him being a SEAL and then leaving to go to NCIS at at 29 or 30. It's, it's strains my credulity. Just like that 10-year undercover operation that <laughs> some people do. Okay, honey, okay. Whatever, baby. <laughs> Bless your heart. People's, people's suspension of disbelief is in different places. Honestly, I would actually put Tony in naval intelligence. I would too, definitely. Um, which would mean you could actually slot him into Catherine Rollins' place in canon in... Um, in uh, Hawaii Five O, and skip NCIS altogether. I'm not mad. <laughs> so Tony is active duty Navy. He's intelligence. Steve's a SEAL. He goes home to Hawaii because his daddy dies. And then Steve, you know, Tony's like, "Well, I'll transfer to Pearl to make you feel better." <laughs> <laughs> I will totally do that. And, and if I were doing an elemental AU, I would have, I think I'd have Steve be a fire AU. Fire, fire mm, elemental. Though. I agree. Fire. Fire with a sub for water. Yeah. I think probably Navy SEALs, probably all, either they're, they, it, it, the ones who aren't water have a sub water. Yeah. Because being a, um, being a SEAL is no joke. I think you would have to have a sub for water, at least a sub for water, if you were going to drown proof in a in an elemental universe. I think that would be a whole new ball game than what they currently do for drown proofing. Yeah, I think they put seal those guys through. I mean, jeez. But it's also you know like there's some AU's out there and stuff for like Tony's a doctor on the weekends and stuff. That's also you know. Come on, now. Come on now. <laughs> Do you know how much work it takes to be a fucking doctor? It actually puts being a SEAL to shame. You know, and you don't do it on the weekends. I mean, some people do be a doctor on the weekends, but they're not being law federal they're not being federal agents during the week. That's just... they're like semi-retired and living in the Hamptons. <laughs> I mean, I am super entertained by the idea that Tony has some kind of secret life, but let's let it be a, you know, he's a member of a you know top secret BDSM club or something, right? Not that he's a doctor on the weekends. <laughs> Come on. My suspension of disbelief is in Australia dying from a funnel web bite. (laughs) (laughs) 
She's just saying. Um, yeah, I'm just saying. I mean, you know, honestly, Tony being a writer on the side makes more sense than him being a Navy SEAL or a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. I had, I, I wrote, um, I started something, I didn't finish it, but I started something where when he left NCIS, one of the things he had all, always done all along is he had recorded he'd been a concert pianist and he had several albums out under a different name and it was something he just did on vacation is he'd go spend some time in the studio and um release a new album but he, he nobody knew who he actually was because it was not something that he and that's something a character can have lurking around in their background right you could do something like that secret musician or um even singer as long as their face isn't not, what what did I do, Queenie? Look at her; she's a talisman. I think you just bite her. <laughs> Is that a bunny? Is it a hey, vampire what? bunny? <laughs> so you could do something like that. As this better super... not end up in that in that Eli's blog. So you could do something like that in a character sneaking around, right? You, you can't have it be believable that a character like is an actor unless they're in full makeup all the time, like 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 Frankenstein makeup all the time. But also time consuming. Um, but something that they do as a hobby that they're well recognized for, you could have something like that. They could be the member, you know, Tony Tony being involved in BDSM on the side. Not only am I don't have a problem believing it, but I, you know, go ahead. I, I, you write it. I'll read it. <laughs> but, but something that takes 10, you know, years and years and years to do. Um, and they're hiding it and they do it, you know, on the sly. It just doesn't make any sense. Now, if Tony washed out of being a seal and he, from an injury, like losing a kidney and he doesn't tell anybody he used to be a seal. I, I buy that. You could do that. But an, but a reservist who was a SEAL? No, nah, baby. Mm -mm. On the Marines, SECNAV would be SECNAV would be pissed on a regular on a regular. And he go to the corner. She never got out of the corner. She's been in the corner since April. We may have to construct her own corner. Queenie's <laughs> corner. Let's we'll call it Queenie's crackgasm. No, we're taking the cookies because you've had way too much sugar. So anyway, so, um, but, you know, speaking of John Wick, I'm surprised you haven't written a fix it considering how egregious you find <laughs> the decisions they made in that movie trilogy. Well, I did plot something that would diverge from the beginning of book two of movie two, mm -hmm. um, which was that, uh, somebody else got the marker and, uh, opposed to getting John to, you know, go and kill that person that he knew that got him in so much fucking trouble that somebody else had, had traded for the marker and brought it to John and said, okay, you have to, you have to honor this. So, but, you know, writing a character that's that, I don't know, pissed off. <laughs> it's it's not, a, not an easy task. I don't know that if, I don't know that John's pissed. I think that he's, he's heartbroken. He is heartbroken, but somebody killed his dog. They, they killed his dog. He's back. By the way, <laughs> they they killed his dog. You know he he and stole his car and desecrated his wife's memory. So yeah, I mean I think he's heartbroken. I don't think he's. I mean I think there's anger on top of it, but I think mostly he's 
He's just broken. Yeah, just the first one. They don't kill his second dog, right? Right? No, 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 okay. no, no. Yeah. Although, who knows? It's not over, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. They've shown the willingness to kill the dog. So. The poor dog. The worst part was that poor little dog dragged herself all the way across the floor to, to lay beside him and die. And I was like, fuck you. <laughs> How you had no right. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with all of you bitches? Uh, it bombed the city. Just kill everybody but the dog. <laughs> I watched Eight Below the other day, the first day that Disney Plus um, um, and Eight Below was on the list. I was like, well, I have to watch it. So it was like a double whammy because it was Paul Walker and then two dogs died. And then he, then Paul comes, well, not his, his, um, his name isn't Paul in the movie, but Paul Walker comes to get the puppies and there are only five. And then he finds Maya over the hill and then he has six. And I cried like a baby. <laughs> I do not know what's wrong with you. Why would you watch that movie? Because I, Paul Walker and Siberian Huskies. Yeah. It's like, so I cried, you know, I cried about my dog. Then I cried about his dogs. And then I cried about him. You know, so it was just like, it was honestly worse than that time I, I, I watched the search for Spock on the anniversary of Larry Nimoy's death. What is wrong with you? I'm a masochist. Not that kind of masochist you're not. Although apparently you are. <coughs> Sometimes you just need a good cry. Go watch Steel Magnolias like a normal person. I've not watched A Dog's Purpose. I have no interest in watching A Dog's Purpose. Stop yelling in my chat room. But it was obviously in the previews about reincarnation. I mean literally. It was literally in the fucking preview. That, the, that A Dog's Purpose was about reincarnation. So how how'd you miss that? <laughs> I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, I get it. <laughs> just just go watch a journey home. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> um. <laughs> so that's that's it for the podcast. Um, we hope that you got some good ideas for your elemental AU. <laughs> Since Kara's tongue had died in little knots. <laughs> Good night, everyone. <laughs> Good night. <laughs>